Pastor Xavier Reese and the future of Israel. God will enact a new covenant with the Jews. God will be in communion with them, and I will not hide my faith from them anymore. For I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel. According to Ezekiel 36, the new covenant, new heart and new spirit, that's when it will take place. God has declared it, saith the Lord God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When the history of man is complete, how significant a player is our old nemesis, Russia? Today, we'll find out as we venture with Pastor Xavier as he leads us into an intriguing study from Ezekiel chapter 39. Let's join him for today's eye-opening lesson, Russia Will Invade Israel, Part 3. Ezekiel chapter 39. The message is entitled, Russia Will Invade Israel. This is Part 3. Ezekiel's Russian invasion of Israel seems to be an Islamic confederation that will be destroyed by God. 38 and 39 are very clear on this. This is the decimation of the Russian army and its confederate forces in Israel. It consists of the following. The recapitulation of the Lord of hosts destroying the invading armies, one through eight. Secondly, the humiliation by the Lord of hosts of the invading armies, nine through 16. And thirdly, the invitation to the birds and the beasts to feed on the invading armies, verse 17 through 29. Let's begin here. Look at verse 1 and 2. You have the invasion of, the, of Russia. It's repeated for emphasis and certainty. The first eight verses, we get nothing new. It's a recapitulation. This has already been stated in chapter 38, verse 1 through 3. The time of the events is affirmed to be under the control of God. God is in charge of the prophetic clock, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bring you up from the far north. God is going to guide Russia down, bring you against the mountains of Israel. This again has been stated in Ezekiel 38, 4 through 6. God will disarm Russia. Notice in verse 3, then I will knock the bull out of your left hand. This is hand-to-hand combat, and it's God who's fighting. The right hand indicates the strength and authority of the Russian confederacy and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. In verse 4, the location is the same. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and peoples who are with you. Mountains of Israel, you can't mistake in it. They will not be buried right away, but allowed to be food for the birds of the beast. I will give you to birds of prey and every sword to the beasts of the field to devour. God will judge the land of Gog. Here's some new material. Look at verse 6. The wrath of God will be poured out in the land of Russia. And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastland. So as they descend down, God will not only destroy the armies, but we get this little window of information that God will destroy the land from where they came. Also, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Philippians says, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now you do it. By your own free will, realizing that Jesus died for you and he loves you and he rose from the dead for salvation. When he returns and during the tribulation, it's for judgment, not for salvation for these nations. They're fighting against him. They're fighting against God's people, as we'll see. Look at verse 7 and 8. The statement of the universal acknowledgement of God is stated by Israel at the end of the great tribulation. This is where you have to put your thinking cap on 
because we're looking at the battle at the beginning, and now a statement is given that really should be at the end. Listen, they will acknowledge his holy name, which is what? Jesus, because Jesus means Jehovah's salvation, Yahweh's salvation. See, they rejected their Messiah. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. This cannot take place at the beginning of the tribulation, for the Jews are acknowledging the Antichrist till the middle of the tribulation to rule the world. They made a covenant with him, remember? Daniel 9.27, right? This can't be at the beginning. Then it says, they will not profane the holy name of God, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. God will fight for Israel. Israel will not lift a hand. Now notice secondly, verse 9 through 16, we have the humiliation by the Lord of hosts of the invading armies. 9 and 10, the people of Israel will take the spoils of war. Remember, the Jews will be living in peace and safety. We've already seen that in 38, 8, 11, and 14, when they make that covenant with the Antichrist. The people will go out from the cities and mountains of Israel where God destroys them. Look at verse 9 there. The benefit for the people is fuel. They will destroy the arsenal brought by the Confederacy and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields, the bucklers, the bows, the arrows, the javelin, and the spear. The language has to represent the modern weapons to be used. He's describing it with the understanding that he had of that day. That's all he's saying. Notice the fuel spoils will be for a specific time, and they will make fires with them for seven years. Mark that seven. This verse is key for placing the battle at the beginning of the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, 927. To place it any time after that does not make any sense to me for the simple reason that the burning of the weapons, if you put it in the middle, it would overlap three years into the millennial kingdom. If you put them in the millennial kingdom, the question has to be asked, why would Jesus need to burn fuel? He redoes the whole earth. He returns it back to paradise. The lamb and the lion lie together. The child leads the lion, and he's playing with a poisonous serpent. It's back to paradise. Though there will still be death and sin because of those who have entered the kingdom will have to repopulate, not the church, we're glorified. But nevertheless, Jesus doesn't need anything. And the seven year fits perfectly with the last 70th week of Daniel, seven years. Now look at 10. The explanation for clarification of a literal fulfillment is given to us here. They will not have to use their own resources. He's already said they're going to burn it. He clarifies it to make sure we understand it. They will not take wood from the fields or cut them down from the forest because they will make fires with the weapons. All the fuel will be used, a tremendous amount, seven years. And they will plunder those who plunder them and pillage those who pillage them, saith the Lord God. The repetition of the spoil is for emphasis and clarification. Now look at verse 11. The land of Israel will be their cemetery in the region of the Dead Sea. God chooses the area of Jordan, the valley of those who pass by the east of the sea. Dead Sea, east of that is Jordan, modern-day Jordan, or what they usually call Transjordan. Now, notice the nation of Israel will employ professional men for the cleanup detail of the cadavers, verse 12 through 16. In 12, the task of the Jews is stipulated. The time is precise. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them. The reason is pronounced in order to clean the land. The reputation of Jews will spread, verse 13 tells us. 
It will be a national affair. Indeed, all the people of the land will be bearing. It will bring recognition to the Jews, and they will gain renown for on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. The humiliation by the Lord of hosts of the invading armies will be a total devastation. He will deal with them. They will come thinking they're going to get all kinds of wealth and victory, and they will be totally destroyed. And notice thirdly, verse 17 through 29, you have the invitation to the birds and the beasts to feed on the invading armies. 17 through 20, the battle must be distinguished from the one in Revelation in the prophetic timeline at the end of the tribulation. Here's where we put our thinking cap on, ladies and gentlemen. The battle in Ezekiel and the one in Revelation occur at different times. The battle in Ezekiel is at the beginning of the tribulation when Israel is at peace and safety through the Antichrist covenant. We've seen this, Ezekiel 38, 8, 11, and 14, so we know that. The battle in the book of Revelation 19, 11 through 16, is the battle of Armageddon, and it's called that in Revelation 16, 16. That is, takes place at the second coming of Jesus Christ as he comes with a two-edged sword coming forth from his mouth as king of kings and lord of lords. There are two different battles. Context will show you they are distinct. Now, notice the invitation to devour the course of the battle have great differences, though they have similar languages between Ezekiel and that battle of Armageddon in Revelation. In Ezekiel, God commands the Son of Man to speak to the birds and the beasts to assemble themselves and come. While in the book of Revelation 19, an angel standing in the sun cries with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven. That's a great distinction. Not only the time, but the person. In Ezekiel, it says, notice, gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood, while in Revelation... It says, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, Revelation 19, 17. Contrast to Ezekiel 39, 17. There's a difference there. Now, notice also the armies of the two battles are completely different. In Ezekiel here, the flesh to be eaten is confined to the Russian invasion with a five-nation confederacy, which God brings to Israel. Listen to what it says. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams of lambs, of goats and bulls, all of them fatlings of Basham. You shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk. At my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, you shall be filled at my table with the horses and riders, with mighty men, and with all the men of war, says the Lord. He's confined to the Russian invasion in the Confederacy. When you look to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 18 and 19, it says this. The flesh to be eaten encompasses all the armies of the earth and the world. Listen, this is not, in Ezekiel it doesn't say that. In Revelation it does. It says this, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people. And up to that point, they're alike. But here's where it changes. And I saw the beast. Well, the beast is at the end of the tribulation. The kings of the earth and their armies 
the kings of the earth, gathered together to make war against him, Jesus, who sat on the horse against his armies. There's a big distinction. The armies here are Russia and our confederacy. The battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19 is all the armies of the world at the second coming of Christ. Look at 21 and 22. The end result must be distinguished from the time of the battle at the beginning of the tribulation. Again, in verse uh, 21 there, the identity of the, of the scene changes from the carnage of the battle to the judgment of the nations at the end of the seven-year tribulation. The word nations is in the plural. I will set my glory among the, what does it say? Nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed. When it's the battle of Russia, not all the nations are singular. The indication in my hand, which I have laid on them, speaks of the nations of the world and not the Confederacy invasion. So here again, we're getting a concluding statement at the end of the latter years, the end, okay? The other fact is that the phrase, I will set my glory among the nations, takes place at the end of the Great Tribulation, at the Battle of Armageddon at the end, and the judgment of the nations, not at the beginning. The Antichrist rules. Jesus comes to return and he rules. So the statements will tell us where it is that they fit. They cannot happen at the same time when Israel has given the Antichrist a full rule in the covenant. But they're concluding overarching statements that we must put there at the end. He is glorified among the nations, plural, not at the beginning, at the end. Now notice the identification of Jesus by the Jews as their God confirms the time at the end of the seven-year tribulation, the second coming. Verse 22. The entire house of Israel as one nation is presented, not divided. So the house of Israel, just what he said in chapter 37 of Ezekiel from verse 14 on down. The two sticks of Joseph and Ephraim made one. The entire nation will recognize Jesus as their covenant Messiah, shall know that I am the Lord their God. The entire time of the kingdom, age to eternity, will, will have that attitude from that day forward. From that day forward, they will know. Well, it can't be the beginning because they won't know their Messiah the first three and a half. It's in the middle where they flee. You understand? So it has to be the end. Now, look at 23 and 24. The holiness of God will be vindicated in judgment and restoration at the end of the tribulation. In 23, the Gentiles will acknowledge God's righteous dealing with Israel due to their sin first. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. So they will go, ah, oh, they will see their fault. They will see their failure. And due to the holiness of God, therefore I hid my face from them. I gave them unto the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. They will realize that the punishment brought to them was due to the rejection. The light will turn on. The Gentiles will acknowledge the nation had no communion with God. Of course, the nation of Israel is what is stated. God dealt justly with them according to their uncleanness and according to their transgression. I have dealt with them. And then God made himself unapproachable by them and hidden my face from them all along until Israel flees to the wilderness in the middle and then at the end they enter the kingdom. Now notice 25 here to 29. 
the reconciliation of Israel to God will be at the end of the latter years in view of the kingdom age. God will be true to his promise, bringing them back. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob, the whole roundup throughout the world, being compassionate, and I have mercy on the whole, the whole house of Israel, being true to himself, and I will be jealous for my holy name. Earlier he says, I don't do this for you, I do it for my name's sake. And then look at 26. God will do it after they have dealt with their sin, by the severe consequences, after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, by their covenant with the Antichrist, when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. It's all part of the plan of God to open their eyes. And look at 27. God will be in complete control once again, a point that's repeated. He will not leave no Jew in foreign lands. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and he is revered before nations. That's at the end. And I am hollowed in them, and meaning Israel, in the sight of many nations. That's when it happens. Then in 28 and 29, God will be their God and Savior. The Jews will at that time understand their costly history, that it was due to the rejection of God. God had disciplined them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations. God had regathered them also. They'll acknowledge that. But also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. All of this repetitive stuff is not to bore us. It's for us to grab hold that God will do it. And then finally in 29, God will enact a new covenant with the Jews. God will be in communion with them, and I will not hide my face from them anymore. The hiding of the face indicates that there's sin, and there's no acknowledgement of who he is. So people have no access. God will have given them a new heart and new spirit, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, according to even as Ezekiel 36 from verse, uh, I believe, 14 to the end, the new covenant, new heart and new spirit. The book of Hebrews speaks about it. That's when it will take place. And in the final authority, God has declared it, saith the Lord God. Wow. Ezekiel 38 and 39 focus on the Russian invasion while giving an overarching result at the end of the great tribulation in preparation for the kingdom age, just as chapter 36 and 37 have predicted. 38 and 39 gives us all the details. That's what it does. Focusing upon the battle that's found nowhere else in the Bible but in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Russia is in bed with Iran, Turkey, Syria, three of the five nations named by Ezekiel for the invasion of Israel. Old J. Vernon McGee, because he studied the Bible, pointed this stuff out way in the 1950s. The three hooks, he says, warm water ports, oil, and the wealth of the Dead Sea. He was a scriptural man. <laughs> Interesting. Have you ever read the prophecy of um, Balaam regarding Israel? You know that Balak, the king of Moab, called Balaam to curse Israel. And he does attempts it many times, but I want to focus on one and leave you with this. 
to show you that Israel will prevail. God will fight for Israel. In Numbers 23, verse 17 through 24, and just jot it down and listen to what it says. So he came to him, and there he was standing by the burnt offering, and the prince of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, Balaam, what has the Lord spoken? Then he took up the oracle and said, rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he even seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strengthened like wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel, it now must be said of Jacob and Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rise like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Translation, Israel wins. The apple of his eye, three times in scripture. Someone tries to poke your eye. Those are fighting words. You protect your vision, right? It merely confirms the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. It is so important that you as a Christian understand what God thinks about Israel. He is not through with Israel. The church is distinct from Israel. God will fight for Israel. It is very important that our nation maintain a very close tie with Israel and not against her. But the scriptures tell me that in latter times, God will make Jerusalem a troublesome stone to the whole world. I believe when this happens, that even our nation will turn its back on Israel. She will stand alone, and God alone will fight for her. You understand? The invitation to the birds and beasts to feed on the invading armies is a celebration. Here you have the decimation of the Russian army, her confederation in Israel. The recapitulation of the Lord of hosts destroying the invading armies is for confirmation. The humiliation by the Lord of hosts of the invading armies is with devastation, certain devastation. And the invitation of the birds and the beasts to feed on the invading armies is a celebration. You want to make sure you're on the right side. It's between heaven and earth. Those are the teams. It has nothing to do with national boundaries. Nothing to do with it at all. Do you know Jesus Christ? If you don't, then you're against him. If you've bowed your knee to him, then you're for him. The most decision that you'll ever make in your life is where you will spend eternity and on whose side you're on. That's not what I say. That's what Jesus says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. In that statement, he destroyed every theology, every religion, every ism, every movement that promises you you can get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. He destroyed it. Pretty bold. Pretty bold. Mary, Peter, Krishna, Allah, nobody can get you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for you, rose from the dead. 
Our prayer is that you make the right choice, but you do it willingly. God forces no one to go to heaven. It's of your own will that you choose to repent and bow your knee to him now before it's too late. Pastor Xavier Reese and God's only plan for salvation, a plan that's available to you right now. And if you'd like a copy of today's study, Russia Will Invade Israel, Part 3, it's available on CD for only $4. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Russia Will Invade Israel, Part 3. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Be sure and join us next time for more from God's Word that's right here on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 